This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that's always up to speed with the latest Formula One news. Follow us on Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod and subscribe to the show on iTunes and Stitcher. Now, here are your hosts, Mark Daly and Kevin Laramang. Good day, good night, and welcome to Scuderia F1, the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One. I'm Kevin Laramang. Joining me as always, Mark Daly. Good evening, Mark. Good evening, Kevin. How's it going tonight? Doing pretty good. We're recording this uh, late on uh, Wednesday this week. And, you know, this Austin Grand Prix was pretty much the season of Ferrari, or especially Vettel, in a nutshell. And we'll uh, we'll dive into it in many different aspects. And we'll look at the other results, the disqualification of Ocon and Magnussen, the win, of course, of Kimi Raikkonen. And the okay race by Hamilton, the superb race by Verstappen. But let's start by the other spin. Another one. Another one <laughs> on lap number one for Sebastian Vettel. What's with him and racing and not racing clean other, in the first lap? And other cars, yeah. Yeah, I don't know, Kevin. It, it is uh, absolutely amazing to watch Sebastian Vettel. It's like every time there is an opportunity for him to to pass or be passed by a, another car during the race something goes wrong and it's 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 like you say it's like he's forgotten how to race against other cars and and again this past weekend of course it, the the uh, the issues with Sebastian weren't just limited to what was happening in the race because before they even got down to the serious part of the weekend he was already given a three place uh, grid penalty for not slowing enough under the red flags in the in the practice session so the best he could have started at all would even if he had the pole he was going to lose have that three grid place penalty to, to to deal with so he ended up starting fifth which wasn't a disaster but you know he, he just far enough back that you know he just had uh had to claw his way past well basically all his uh competitors i mean hamilton only needed to score eight points more than then Vettel had it, uh, well, basically looked like he had it all one hand on the trophy on the championship even before it started because he qualified on pole. And then Kimi Raikkonen, actually Kimi wasn't all that far off Lewis in qualifying. He only uh, uh, was only less than a tenth of a second, but then it was Botas and then Ricardo uh, in front of Vettel. So, well, that basically, that sort of sums it up. Ricardo was in front of Vettel and they get about three quarters of the way around the track and Ricardo and Vettel go into the corner and you can kind of tell that Ricardo <laughs> is kind of forced to the outside. Vettel is pushing really hard. He drifts to the outside. They bang wheels. Ricardo keeps going. Vettel spins around and I'm surprised he didn't actually cook his tires the way he lit those yeah. uh, lit up those rear tires to get the car pointed again in the right direction. But uh, just like Japan previously, <laughs> just like in France, just like in <laughs> Well, I mean, I'm starting to lose track of all the times we've seen it this year. <laughs> it too is many. just, it, it is strange for a guy that's a quadruple world champion, a, a guy that's driving for the team that arguably has had the best car for at least the first three quarters of the season until, I guess, the uh, sorry, the Mercedes Renaissance, um, maybe post-Italian Grand Prix. Yeah. Is, uh, it's mind-boggling. I, I, I don't think I've ever seen anything like this in all the years I've watched Formula One, Kevin. I don't think I have either. And I think there's a little bit of circumstances here as well. Uh, if this was soccer, we would call it score effect. The fact that Vettel is so 
far behind in the championship because of his own doing, let's face it, he will not give up anything. He'll fight for it. Win or win, like, to, to quote the great Ricky Bobby, being mm-hmm. the second is the first loser. So uh, mm-hmm. if you're <laughs> not first, you're last. And I guess that's the the mentality Vettel has. Ricardo tries to pass me. No, yep. I'm not going to give him an inch. I'm not going to give him any space. It's all or nothing. And it doesn't matter the ramifications. That's a bit what it feels like. And that's unfortunate uh, for for the, the spectacle, for the entertainment. I guess it's fun. I guess it's fun to see some little donuts on the track while you race too. I don't know. Uh, but it, it's interesting that the more and more the season goes on, those mistakes never stop. And we'll talk about the Ferrari mistakes in the next few minutes too but for the first time since maybe the italian grand prix the ferrari looked like it was the fastest car in austin Mm -hmm. Uh, lewis hamilton did get the pole but uh according to multiple analysis analysts this pole was more driver than car kimi was really close too and they were afraid of this mercedes saying look if kimi starts with the ultra soft uh, a tire that has more grip off of the start line, maybe he's going to overtake us and there will be not a lot of chance for us to, to catch him. And it's exactly what happened. And this is the car was faster. The Ferrari was faster than a Mercedes for the first time since the Italian Grand Prix. And it's kind of weird because they actually took away <laughs> some of the uh, advanced aerodynamics that they did put on the car, the, uh, the aero package they put on the car a few months ago. They took them away. They went back to pre-Italian Grand Prix and guess what the car was faster so it's a it's kind of a a weird situation you really like on on multiple levels even for Mercedes both team had a uh, water pump malfunction early in the morning on the Sunday and uh, Valtteri Bottas and Lewis Hamilton's car had to be deconstructed and reconstructed very quickly and this could maybe account for some of the loss of power but it, it's rare that you see those big teams make massive mistakes like they have been over the last few races in a championship like this at this level. You you rarely see what I would call amateur mistakes on either the team or the driver's side. It's it's kind of a it's kind of a weird weird season. And uh, well, Hamilton will still win. He has an amazing uh, amount of points in advance <laughs> of Vettel. But all those mistakes, it kind of feels uh, not F one like. Well, I think that uh, the, all those mistakes and things that uh, you've just sort of uh, mentioned there, Kevin, I think that just indicates just how close that uh, that these two teams are. La- last year, I mean, it was obvious that uh, Ferrari had closed the gap, but Mercedes was still just that one step ahead. And and this year, it's been very much two heavyweights going going back at it uh, all all year long, and and then occasionally you have Red Bull kind of interject and have had some good results and win along the way as well so i think it, it's more that these these um mistakes are more indicative of just how hard they're pushing and just trying to find those little extra performance gains just that are going to lead to you know a, a tenth of a second here or a quarter of a second here over the course of a lap and just find those those performance gains that keeps them ahead of their 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 competitors but, you know, the thing is, when they're already operating at the limits, once you start to to push that envelope a little bit too far, then it doesn't take too long before you're outside of the envelope and, and these things do happen. But I think it was very interesting, like you were saying, just the choice of tires, the ultra softs and the super softs and who started on what. But it was a bold move. Just uh, I, I thought it was a great move by Kimi Raikkonen. At the start of the race, I mean, I think that uh, at the Circuit of the Americas, I think it's it's a great way to start a lap where you go from the start finish, you have the the straight portion, and then that very abrupt and sudden change in the grade. I mean, it's already sloping upwards, but when they hit that very dramatic uh, change where it gets steeper, and then they go up to that uh, very sharp left hander, <laughs> I think it's a a great, uh, really really cool feature. On that circuit, but Kimi obviously he got more more traction when they got off the line there, and he he moved to the inside and he just muscled his way past the Lewis Hamilton and uh, obviously he did have the pace and and Lewis was close 
but not quite close enough to to really challenge and, and push him, tried to undercut him. And then I thought it was amazing, too, just how fast Lewis was really pushing after he changed his tires. And I, I remarked during the race was, I can't see that yeah. these tires, even though he, he switched to the softs, I just couldn't see him going the rest of the way just to see... I was checking the timing. He was lapping a second and a half to two seconds a lap quicker than Kimi Raikkonen, who was obviously managing his uh, ultrasofts a, a lot more conservatively than than yeah. Lewis was. And uh, when he, those two uh, rear tires of Hamilton started to to go away from him and then start to to blister later on, I don't think for for me at least it wasn't a, a real big surprise. But it was kind of funny just uh, listening to to Kimi Raikkonen when we saw Lewis dive in to, to go for that early pit stop under the virtual safety car. Yeah. I kind of had that feeling, oh boy, here, here we go again. Um, Ferrari's going to be caught out and they're, they're, they're missing out on the opportunity. But in the long the long run, it basically worked out a little bit, I wouldn't say better for them, but they, they stuck to their strategy. And I thought it was interesting just the couple of times you heard Kimi Raikkonen just sort of questioning their strategy over the radio about, well, what's Lewis doing and, uh, and what are we doing? And they just sort of calmly say, just sort of stick to the plan. And uh, we, we really think that Lewis is on for a two-stop uh, strategy. And, uh, and well, it, it worked for them that time. And also, just to kind of go back to one of your original points, that uh, well, obviously there was pace in the Ferrari. And if that's how quick that Raikkonen was, who is obviously not quite the, the, the quicker of the two Ferrari drivers, Sebastian Vettel should have easily won that race had he kept his nose clean and tidy on that first lap. I think that... Yep. He would have found his way up to, to the front of the field, even though it meant getting around uh, Botas and Hamilton and his own teammate. I think he would have found a way to do it, either through pit stops or just through sheer pace. And uh, again, just uh, another opportunity missed. I think that's the name of the season for Sebastian Vettel. Opportunity yes, absolutely. Missed. Yeah, <laughs> he could have won. He could have won the championship this year, but it won't happen. And a uh, virtual safety car pit stop for Lewis Hamilton. And then he really had to push hard to make sure that he caught up to Raikkonen when Raikkonen was going to do his pit stop so that he wouldn't be affected by the two pit stop strategy. But at the end, turned out that when Kimi had the fresher tires, he was able to hold just enough to keep his uh, first place and hold uh, Lewis Hamilton at bay. But the driver of the day for me, Mark, is Max Verstappen. Not the first time that Max Verstappen mm -hmm. at the Circuit of the Americas proves that he can't overtake doesn't matter if the car is a bit wider he did a great job starting dead last max verstappen finished mm -hmm. second in the grand prix well again i i think that's you know lewis like you say he's obviously going to to win this uh championship which which will be his fifth which will tie him with fangio by the time it's all said and done he's going to be the guy that um, I think that's obviously when people think about 2018, that'll be the name that immediately comes to mind and the, the name that will be in the top of the record books. Excuse me, but I think that uh, that Max really deserves a lot of credit. He was he was the guy that was kind of having maybe not quite as dramatic or as bad as uh, as maybe some of uh, Vettel's high profile incidents, but Max did not have a tidy start to, to the season uh, he didn't uh, he had a couple of uh, mistakes in Australia and Bahrain and then of course it kind of all really culminated and came to a head at Monaco when he crashed in FP3 and then uh, he just wasn't uh, he wasn't able to uh, take part in the Grand Prix and which was the one that uh, that, that his teammate won uh, despite having a, a problem with the, his engine and uh, not being able to ha have the benefit of full speed but that was that that line in the sand for Max Verstappen because he, he recovered well in the race at, at Monaco and then they went to Canada two weeks later and then in, since Montreal he's been very good I think he's gotten better and better and better and I think that's the drive that we saw from Max Verstappen this past weekend, despite starting so far down, like you were saying, uh, because of all the penalties and things like that incurred. I mean, he was like you say, he was he started at 18th and I believe at the end of lap one, he was already up to P9 or P10. So, I mean, he made up a huge chunk of that yeah. deficit and it was just a, an extremely mature drive and uh, very well managed and especially at the end there when uh, when he was sort of caught between the the, the Raikkonen and Hamilton sandwich I thought he did very very well uh, Lewis of course did have a bit of a look and I think that 
you know, Lewis had the better tires at that point in the race compared to Max. But in uh, in previous years, there's been plenty of uh, criticism, uh, you know, leveled at Max uh, at the way that he'll defend his position. But I thought that, uh, you know, he looked a lot older and a lot more mature than his 21 years uh, on Sunday. And I thought it was a, a great result. And definitely for me, I think he's being, being the best and well, one of the best and one of the most consistent drivers ever since Montreal. And I, I think, I, you know, I, I tip my hat to him because uh, it was, it was great to watch. And m- maybe this is a good point to, to talk about it too. I, I think that maybe Lewis didn't yeah. uh, push as hard as he he could have and I don't think he really challenged Max as hard as he could have to try and get that extra place at the end of the race there but then again he doesn't need to he does have so many points in his pocket and I think that's one of the differences obviously between Hamilton and uh, and Vettel is that 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 he uh, Lewis that is took that moment or he's just aware of the bigger picture that you know hey I don't need to fight I don't need Need to take Max right now because as much as it would be great to win it here this afternoon in Austin at a track where there's a lot of people cheering for me, you know, I can still walk away with, uh, you know, P3, still be on the podium and have that uh, that that security that I didn't drop any points. I still get a P3 and then, you know, I try again next week in, uh, in Mexico City and I can win it then. And if I don't win it then, I can win it in Brazil. And yeah. if Brazil doesn't work out i can still win it in abu dhabi there's there's three more opportunities to do it and it's not a question of if it's a question of when right so oh, yeah. especially the I way think... vettel is driving he, like vettel we, <laughs> we can't even think he's gonna finish a lap number one in front of hamilton never mind a race so <laughs> well, there's that's, that. that's exactly it and you the fact that lewis hamilton knows how to race for a championship versus racing for a win mm-hmm. th- there's a big difference we've talked about this the last time we did a show together this is exactly the, the the reasoning behind it. You're third. Your closest rival is behind you. If you make more points than him, even if it's just one or two for the end of the season, you're going to beat him hands down mm-hmm. on the championship. So you don't need it to force. And you know Max Verstappen ha- had a reputation. I say had because for me, he it might be a bit unwarranted. And he has proven that he can be trusted to, to race with. Over the last few races. So, like, okay, this kid is fast. I'm just going to let him do his thing. I'll I'll just stay at bay behind. And I'll just make sure that I'm faster than the guy behind me who I just need to be in front of. That's the smarts. That's the the wherewithal of racing for a championship versus racing for a win. Mm -hmm. He doesn't need to win. He just needs to beat Vettel. If it's for ninth or for third, it's the same damn story. Mm Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought that was really smart by uh, Max Verstappen. Uh, speaking of the Renaults, um, the Renault Red Bull, uh, this time Ricardo having a bit of trouble with his car and uh, starting a bit uh, next to Bottas. And uh, I kind of like the, the show that uh, Ricardo put on all weekend with his Texas accent. You know, it was kind of fun to hear him talking about like this, you know. <laughs> But uh, that was kind of hilarious. I, I love the special edition racing overalls that uh, that the Red Bull drivers had I thought it was really really cool and, <laughs> the and uh, they're the, the kind the of guys that are going to do something like that yeah like it's like the uh, the, the country western outfit with the uh, it was kind of funny because when uh, Ricardo actually retired from the, the the race early on when he stepped out of the cockpit my wife looked and she said is he actually wearing <laughs> cowboy boots she says I know they don't they're, they're actually not cowboy boots but from a distance it actually does so I mean <laughs> it was uh, very well done but It was just uh, interesting that, too. I thought that uh, just the way that uh, Christian Horner had a bit of a poke at yes, uh, it's at, the uh, gamesmanship. To me, it's the gamesmanship that are starting, saying, yeah. I'm surprised that Renault, uh, the next team of Danny Ricardo, will, will let troubles with the engine happen to him. Mm-hmm. It's not like they do it on purpose. It's like, yeah. It, I, th- I thought it was a little bit of a jab, too. Yeah, it was it was kind of funny because they're they're kind of like uh, giving a, a little bit of poke at, at the or he's giving him a bit of a poke to Renault. It's like, why are you letting your boy down? You know, <laughs> can't you do a little bit better? But uh, yeah, obviously that's a, a a relationship that has been well, it, it's been going downhill for quite some time. I mean, last year Horner and a half, I would three. say, right? Uh, since uh, since last year and a half, where we had Cyril Abitbol uh, from yep. uh, Renault being uh, telling. Uh, in the media, at least, saying, "Look, 
what we give them is should be better than what they do, and they're not necessarily doing the good things. What we give them, and then the mm-hmm. exact opposite by Red Bull saying, "Look, we're missing a bit here and there. We thought we we're going to get better. There's missing some improvement. It's kind of a, a same story with two different sides, and where where the truth lies, I don't know. But it's uh, yeah, you you." One team is still bitter that they lost that contract, and Honda, of all people, got it. Mm-hmm. And the other team's like, well, we chose otherwise. Are you uh, impeding us or penalizing us because we choose another team? So it's, so it's a bit of that. Yeah, and I think that relationship got markedly, uh, I, I guess, more strained in that past year and a half, but... The criticism towards Renault is nothing new. Uh, Horner has basically been complaining and it's just sort of reached a crescendo over the past probably year, year and a half, at least until the point when uh, they, they decided to split with him at the beginning of the, uh, the, the, the summer and then join with, uh, with Honda. But he was even complaining about the, the, the Renault engines even in the first uh, year of the, 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 the V6 turbo hybrid engines back in 2014 when uh, they were obviously not as powerful or as not anywhere as good as say the, the the Mercedes or the Ferrari so it 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 just gotten to the point that it, it's it's almost it's almost a little bit amusing to see that you know just how bad the split was and just see the the, the jabs just going back and forth it's just it seems um it yeah it's just it's an interesting kind of humorous situation i mean uh, we we all know how political uh, formula 1 is but i guess uh, horner too has um He's probably a little bit, maybe stings a little bit uh, too. I mean, even though that they've got uh, Gasly and Verstappen lined up for, for next year. I mean, he did say that uh, Ricardo's announcement to, to leave and, and go and join uh, Renault for next year and beyond came out of a, a real surprise because, and I was very surprised by it too, uh, of course, as everybody else was, because leading up to that at that uh, Hungarian Grand Prix right uh, before the summer break, I mean, Ricardo's saying all the right things and it sounded like a, a new deal to keep him at Red Bull Racing. It seemed like it was inevitable. It seemed like, oh, yeah, well, it's just a formality. I'm sure I'll, I'll open up Twitter or Facebook or whatever one, you know, in the next couple of days and there'll be an announcement about a, a new contract and he'll stay there for the next two, three years, whatever it's going to be. So uh, obviously that uh, that caught uh, everybody by surprise. And uh, I think maybe uh, Horner just hasn't taken it as well as uh, everybody else. But I mean. I, I yeah. think uh, maybe that's what what it really comes down to is that even though Ricardo said he doesn't need that I guess quote unquote number one status, the thing is, uh, and we've seen how, and we were just <laughs> talking about it for the past five or ten minutes, how good uh, Max was again this weekend, is that regardless if they say it on, on on paper or explicitly that I mean Max is the guy that the team's kind of really built around. I mean, it, it, it's obvious how good that the guy is, and I mean it, we we've sort of seen him struggle over time. But he's sort of really seen, you know, he's starting to mature a little bit. He's got that experience in Formula One, which he's basically been learning on the fly over the past couple of years. True, and, true. Uh, but yeah. what I think and, Max Verstappen has, too, is, let's face it, marketability. He's, what, 21 years old? Yeah. And he's so young. And uh, Danny Ricardo has the personality But for some reason, uh, bec- I don't know if it's because he, well, he's Australian or... but. The fact that he's not from a part of the world that is willing to go all out and can be present at races just like the Netherlands can. So he, mm-hmm. his superstardom, his stardom aspect, like his his celebrity aspect doesn't transcend the world of Formula One the way Max Verstappen is or will be transcending mm-hmm. the world of Formula One in the next few years. And if you're building your team around a superstar like Max Verstappen, that you can uh, market uh, market to companies to become a spokesman and to to truly do what Lewis Hamilton has done over the last few years is become not bigger than your sport, no, but to become a household name outside of just formula one outside of just motorsport and max verstappen is already yep. this in the netherlands and if he continues like this it's going to be globally and that's where it might be a bit more inter- interesting to have a max verstappen as your quote-unquote leader instead of a ricardo because ricardo has the personality for that but it's 
sometimes you don't choose why people love you. And uh, if it was just me, it would have been Ricardo and no, nothing to do with Verstappen and his driving talents. But it, it's some just about the youth, maybe, and about it's it's all the above. It's, it's an intangible. That's hard to put a finger on it. But we do see the results of it. If you just go back to Spa, uh, what, yep. 20,000 Dutch were there just to support Max? It's it, crazy. Something like that. I mean, like, uh, it's interesting because he's uh, become sort of like this this cult figure, especially in in Holland and, and being Dutch myself. I mean, I can and and having lived there for a number of years is that the, the Dutch are very supportive of, of select things. I mean, obviously, when their national football team, the Nederlandse Elftal, is not complete rubbish. And well, I mean, you just they'll, they'll Germany, be lots of Dutch fans. You Pardon? beat Germany 3-0 not too long ago. So that was good. Yeah. Well, I mean, the. the this past year, of obviously Holland didn't qualify for the yeah. uh, for the World Cup, uh, but I mean, so wherever they go in the big tournaments, lots of Dutch fans go. Of course, for the uh, for the speed skating, very well supported by the Dutch. But Max is kind of this this cult figure, and he, he's really worked his way into the the, the psyche of the uh, and uh, into the mind of the Dutch uh, sports fans. And that's like you say, you go to Spa, there's twenty, fifty thousand, whatever it is. Um, you know, Dutch fans going to some of these European races, and and again at Spielberg at the Red Bull Ring uh, for the Austrian Grand Prix, where you have these big stands basically all filled with uh, you know Dutch fans wearing orange T-shirts and and Max Verstappen baseball caps. I mean, those are the kinds of things we haven't really seen in Formula One, like like fans that passionate, that vocal, following a guy like that uh, since basically Michael Schumacher was yeah. at 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 his peak in the Ferrari years. I mean, obviously, Lewis has a, a very big following worldwide. Kimi Raikkonen has a, that that following worldwide. For example, Fernando has that uh, that big following, but it's, it's all a just bit more that subdues, more, right? more. I wouldn't say in your face, but it's just that more colorful. I guess is a good way to put it. <laughs> it it's more pronounced. It's more passionate with uh, with Max, especially in Europe. And you know, like you say, as he gets older and as he gets better, and if he has a better car that really gives him the opportunity to to push for a race uh, win each and every weekend. You know that that sort of myth or that mystique, whatever you want to call it, of of Max Verstappen, that's just going to make him, you know, just just bigger and bigger and more popular, and to see that spread uh, around the world, it's 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 an interesting phenomenon. Yeah, and and I think that's one of the reasons why Red Bulls are weren't happy when it happened that Ricardo was moving to Renault, but thinking about it, and they'll, they'll save some money too on driver mm-hmm. driver salary for the for next couple of years with Pierre yep. Gasly, that's for sure. So uh, those are all things that would maybe uh, console Christian Horner. Speaking of needing to be consoled, Vettel, we talked about his bad, uh, bad first lap and the fact that he couldn't really take advantage of his great car. That's exactly what Ross Braun mentioned. It's a shame Vettel mm-hmm. did not make better use of competitive Ferrari. And, you know, I will take that statement and put it on a broader scale. I think this applies for the entire 2018 season. Yeah, I think so. I, I totally agree with you, Kevin. I think it was it was pretty obvious right from the first couple of races from the you know, at, at the start of the year that the Ferrari was the better of the of the two cars and and Mercedes especially in the beginning of the year had to play catch up a, a, a little bit and uh, well we I mean obviously they've they've done very well but I mean they've um, I think what they've done well is that they've addressed the issues that they had with the W09 and they've just been more consistent Lewis has been more consistent he's 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 kept uh, his mind clear he's he stayed focused he's uh, he, he's collected points and he's had a couple of off races here and there but the the, the point is and I, I think I've almost made it a, a weekly mantra here is that Formula One the, the the whole season the world championship is the the, the marathon it's it's not the sprint and over the course of 21 races, Lewis uh, has, has done what he's needed to do, and he still collected points when he may have not had the um, you know the the better of the two cars, and and things weren't going their way. Let's go back to the uh, the Austrian Grand Prix when Mercedes had their first double DNF due to mechanical failures. So it's like something ridiculous. 1955, of course. They've had more double DNFs, but that was more due to <laughs> uh, uh, Hamilton and, and Rosberg uh, canceling each other out uh, in, in various 
races over the years, but that he's just done what he's needed to do, and he's capitalized on these mistakes from Sebastian Vettel. I mean, uh, that opening lap at the the Italian Grand Prix uh, again. That was a, another situation where Vettel. Uh, had I think the, the the quicker of the, the the two cars that day, but he stuck his nose in where maybe he should just you know feather that uh, that throttle and just put a put his left or his right foot onto that uh, that brake pedal and just concede that position to you know just let it go, give it to Lewis at that point because you still have fifty something laps to sort it out and you haven't even done half a lap yet. So that's that's where Lewis is um, capitalized on he, he's had to deal with the weaknesses in their own car and they, they've overcome them obviously I mean since the summer break and since Monza they were the the, the better of the the, the two teams and uh, it was only this past weekend again like you said off the top of the show Ferrari took off some bits that weren't working and put the old bits back on and lo and behold there came back that uh, that performance that uh, you know the speed that they had that was uh, really playing into their hands you know, only just a, a couple of months ago so it's it's been interesting to watch and it kind of leads into a bigger question and and ross himself said and i thought he was rather polite about it saying that uh, sebastian was quote uh, a little bit out of sorts <laughs> so there there was an interesting <laughs> article on uh, espn.co.uk uh, about uh, they posed the question is ferrari getting rid of the wrong driver at the end of the year uh, Seb, I believe, have, believe, has one more year on his contract at Ferrari. And uh, Kimi, who's probably won his last Grand Prix. I mean, we shouldn't say probably. We never know yeah, what could know. happen in the next three races plus two three seasons years. when he goes yeah. to Sauber. But, um, you know, it, it is interesting where Seb has really sort of struggled since the, the, the summer break. Since Spa, Kimi has been the better of the two Ferrari drivers. And it's it's interesting because I, I think, Kevin, I think basically since we, we started the show three years ago, I think we've always been quite critical about Kimmy saying, well, you know, he hasn't been quite fast enough to really play that 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 number two role and kind of really help uh, Sebastian out and, and help the team out. But uh, I, I don't know what it is. He's eating his Wheaties or something. Well, you know, I have an idea. The way we hear about Vettel is he takes a lot of space, right? And he, yep. he will not let Kimi Raikkonen have better results than him unless if he makes a mistake, guess what? It's all open now. Kimi doesn't have to hold back anymore or doesn't have to wait and hear complaints when he comes back because you made your own bed. You made a mistake. You spin on a lap one. What do you want me to do? I'm going to do my race from now on. And if we look at all the times where uh, Vettel made a mistake, Kimi usually is better for it. So I don't think those are two stra- strangers to each other. No, I, I, I agree. I think that, uh, that, that Kimi, and especially now when he knows he's only got three more late races left for, uh, for Ferrari, and then he's off to Sauber for next year. But uh, again, if uh, you know Vettel's not keeping... You know, not doing the right thing and getting involved in situations that's uh, that that's costing himself and the team. For our, uh, you know, Kimmy, if he can do it, he's going to step up and and try and do something for the for the team. And this weekend, it worked out very good. I mean, another high profile incident was uh, in France earlier this year in the in the summer, and and we had uh, Louis Botas and uh, Sebastian Vettel all basically trying to go around the first corner at uh, Circuit Paul Ricard at, at the same time and uh, Vettel just kind of stuck his nose in again a little bit where he shouldn't have and uh, you know Botas was in front of him they come together they both kind of limp back to the pits they you know they both end up having to have uh, repairs made to their nose cones uh, Botas ended up also with a damaged floor which really hampered his uh, progress. He only finished seventh that race. Um, and uh, Edel did manage to recover, but he only got as far as fifth, you know. So that that was one of those situations. But then Kimi, he managed to get a P3 for the team that day. And then, uh, of course, you look at also uh, when, uh, when uh, you know, we're, we're talking just now about the Italian Grand Prix. Vettel kind of drops it uh, again. And then, you know, Kimi uh, and 
ends up in second place, and he was leading that race for for quite a long time. Unfortunately, his uh, his tires blistered, and uh, Lewis was able to uh, take the lead and and go on to win that run, uh, win that race. But uh, Raikkonen, he ended up with the P2, and Vettel again, he's off the podium in, in in P4. So there's quite a number of those examples that when when uh, when, when Vettel has uh, maybe gotten the the, the headlines for you know, get, getting involved in these incidents and these collisions that uh, that uh, he needn't have uh, gotten involved in, that quite quietly Kimi Raikkonen has gone on to have a, a very quiet but yet very productive race. And um, I, I don't think that Kimi really gets enough credit for it. Not that he probably particularly cares what other people uh, are thinking about him. I love the quote that he made after he uh, won the race. It was something that, oh, yeah, well, it probably won't change my life all that much you know very very yeah. understated and uh very yeah. uh i don't really give an uh give a damn kind of attitude that it was uh, like oh it's it's good for the boys and we'll we'll have a few party tonight but uh <laughs> it won't really change anything you know my, my future is already set and um oh, it's good uh, i i guess I, I guess that's what the kids call keeping it real <laughs> keeping it 100 keeping it 100 yeah absolutely Speaking of not keeping it 100, or more importantly, not keeping it under 105 kilograms, Esteban Ocon and Kevin Magnussen both got disqualified, finishing respectively 8th and 9th before <clears throat> the post-race inspection. Turns out both uh, both cars uh, burned more than 105 kilograms of fuel during the race, with Ocon making the big fuel mass flow limit on the opening lap and making uh, the difference here and he was disqualified from the race same for Mag- uh, Kevin Magnuson so uh, mm-hmm. both finishing in the points and it was not going to be the case benefiting uh, of them is uh, Brendan Hartley and uh, Magnus Eriksson ended up in the points after this even though they were a lot behind, finished ninth and 10th. And uh, those points will be important for Sauber and for Brendan Hartley. Uh, Brendan Hartley still doesn't have a drive for next year. And and, uh, Magnus Eriksson wants to make sure that he keeps his drive for next year, maybe being Kimi's uh, teammates. We'll see if that happens. But uh, disqualification for Ocon and Magnussen, something we don't see that often in Formula One disqualifications post race. Yeah, especially in this day and age, it's it's very unusual to to see something like that, uh, like 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 a fuel irregularity or, or something. But two drivers from two different teams, uh, very unusual. I, I I don't remember another instance of that happening in in recent memory. Of course, earlier this year, for example, um, uh, Roman Grosjean was excluded and disqualified at the. Uh, Italian Grand Prix after there was a, a protest lodged by Renault about uh, the, the floor on his car, which is kind of interesting, too, because in that situation, uh, I believe that uh, there had been some discussions and uh, and both teams were kind of aware of it. And I think there was some sort of loose, if you want to call it a gentleman's agreement between Renault and Haas uh, that, that afternoon or that weekend that that uh, it's kind of like we know that you know that we know kind of thing, but we're not going to say anything about it. <laughs> and, uh, and after it was all <laughs> done, Renault still went and uh, lodged a complaint with the stewards, with the FIA, and uh, Grosjean was uh, was disqualified. But yeah, it, especially in this day and age, uh, you, you don't expect to hear that a car has exceeded the maximum amount of fuel that uh, that they are permitted over the course uh, of a race, especially when it's two different cars. So that was a, a very unusual uh, situation. But just uh, talking about uh, Brendan Hartley, I, I think it's kind of interesting. I mean, Hartley's had some decent results uh, recently, and I think it's probably going to be the, um, the the scenario that he won't be back in Formula One. I mean, obviously, if you have France Tost uh, talking about uh, trying to get Lando Norris in the car for the, the remainder of 2018 and 2019, when we were only like, what, two and a half months yeah. into the season, and I think if you're Brendan Hartley, the writing is obviously on the wall at that point, even though it might be only the middle of May or beginning of June or whatever it was. So it, it just sort of seems inevitable. But uh, I think uh, just sort of compared to his teammate, uh, to Pierre Gasly, just uh, uh, he's done a little bit better where I think that, that Gasly has really kind of 
faded over the course of the season. He had some some pretty good results, uh, at least in the first half. But in the, in the past couple of races, he hasn't uh, been been very good uh, at all. Uh, I'd say a bit of a, a shadow, obviously, of uh, you know the, the the form that we saw earlier in the in the year, but. Um, yeah, we'll have to wait and see what uh, what happens with that. I mean, uh, Gasly finished in uh, in in 12th position and then uh, Hartley finished in 9th. Marcus Ericsson in uh, the Sauber finished that off when, which is obviously his swan song for the team because uh, you know, he's out at the uh, the end of the year and uh, as uh, as things still kind of get uh, changed around and of course that that whole driver situation still isn't 100 100- percent settled most of the teams they are um toro rosso is one of the teams where we're not 100 percent sure who will be uh, driving next to the the torpedo next year williams is a bit of a, a question mark but i guess the one item of news that uh, didn't surprise me at all this year or sorry this uh, this past week is that lance stroll is going to have his first test for Force India or whatever they're going to be called uh, for next year. It sounds like yeah, because they, imminent. They were yeah, they're going to change the name too. They they said that they were going to uh, ask the uh, FOM for a name change in the off season. They already did, but that's a more of a technicality to uh, to change the ownership and to make sure that their uh, their debtors of the former owner doesn't come after them. So they went from Force India to Racing Point Force India, but. I have a big feeling the Force India as a whole, the name will be changed next year to Racing Point something or to Racing something. Yeah. And, you know, just sort of talking about that, that whole takeover of Force India by, or sorry, Lawrence Stroll and his uh, consortium. I don't think I've ever seen a, a Formula One team go into receivership or administration so quickly and then get rescued out of uh, administration so quickly. I mean, we, we've seen some teams like... Uh, it the, all seem a bit contrived, if you ask me. Like Manor Racing, just all kind of like really linger and die like a, a very slow and, and painful death but uh, it was you know and and it was a bit honestly it was uh, refreshing to see and good to see that a team that was obviously really limited and I mean their, their results uh, in the beginning of the year weren't there it was kind of like well what's happened to, to force India they're obviously not race you know the the, the caliber of team that's going to be challenging for wins but I mean they're, they're definitely one of the the, the best of the rester <laughs> Kind of teams, you know, not quite as good as a Red Bull, but they're kind of maybe one of those fourth or fifth best teams of uh, of all the, the 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 middle pack runners. But just the way that they were handcuffed under the the, the previous um, ownership uh, led by VJ Malia was uh, obviously really had uh, affected what they could do this year. I mean, they've never really been a big budget team. I mean, still like got a, a lot more money to work with than say a normal company, but uh, modest by Formula One standards. So uh, it was interesting that after they went into administration and Lauren Stroll and his group comes along and injects new life into the team, gets them uh, with, with a positive cash flow again, pays off their debtors, how the, the, the way that it tur- turned around was very instantaneous almost. It, it, they went from kind of just uh, tooling around there on the track, not really accomplishing anything, back to where they've uh, previously been over the uh, you know the past couple of years, and uh, well, you, you kind of look uh, this year, or sorry, this past uh, this past weekend, Sergio Perez before Ocon Magnussen were disqualified and finished in in P8. Ocon, of course, was uh, had a, a pretty good uh, result uh, for himself as well before being uh, being disqualified, like you say, for the fuel irregularities. So you know, take that for for what it's worth, but definitely uh, interesting to see. But again, like I say, to, to hear that Lance Stroll is going to be testing for the team that's uh, basically been bought out uh, for his father at that uh, that postseason test session at Abu Dhabi at the end of next month. It was one of those things that like, yeah, why did it take this long? to The worst kept secret in Formula One is Lance Stroll will be driving yeah, okay, in a pink car. Yeah, yeah. Well, Kevin, you know, before we start wrapping it up tonight, there's uh, still uh, just a, a couple more uh, items uh, to, to talk about. Uh, one of them being that there was uh, some good news this week that Nicky Lauda is uh, finally left the hospital in uh, Vienna after he's been in uh, there for the past two months after receiving a, a very quick lung transplant. So that's uh, good to hear that he's mending uh, nicely. And then uh, sort of the, the Mercedes connection here was 
Hamilton was saying uh, this past week that uh, he believes that F1 needs to solve what he calls fundamental racing issues. And he was um, complaining a little bit just how the aerodynamics and that the cars are built and just how the Formula One is at the moment makes it very close for them or very difficult for the the, the drivers to get very close to the, the car in front of them. I know Lewis isn't a, a big fan of, uh, of DRS, which, you know, is it, it is sort of manufactured overtaking uh, to a, a degree. I think a, a lot of us would like to see a lot more sort of organic racing. It's just a, a takeaway, try, try and limit these arrow effects that, that keep the cars from, from getting close and getting into those positions to try and, and pass each other in a more natural sort of way. But, you know, whatever, that's what it is right now. But basically what Lewis was saying was he hopes that what with the changes to the front wings and to the aerodynamics for next year is that uh, he's hoping that will be basically a, a start of good things to come and and make for some more competitive racing. So he's going to be very interested to see what happens as, uh, you know, the the new regulations for uh, 2021 become sort of more um, developed and figured out over the next, uh, I, I guess, coming years and months or whatever before they finally decide this is what we're doing for 2021. And, uh, well, it uh, that remains to be seen. But next year, I think, will give us a very good idea of at least where the sport is trying to go. So I know they kind of really pushed those changes through for 2019, but yeah. I, I'm really looking forward to seeing what, what that effect will be just by changing the, the, the front wings on the cars and how, of course, in the long run or the, 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 mid, uh, the, 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 the middle run, whatever you want to call it, over the short term uh, will be uh, very interesting to see how it evolves from 2019 into 2020 and then, of course, into 2021 and beyond. We all know that's the our utopian dream is to have more overtaking that is yeah. legitimate in Formula One, and that's the goal of people in place too. So we'll see if it happens. We'll see if they make it happen. But one thing that I've been noticing ever since I've been following motorsports is doesn't matter your intention and doesn't matter what you think will work. It's another thing when it's in put it's put into into actual practice and you see it yeah. unfold on the track it was never the goal for the aerodynamics to make the race and the overtaking more difficult it was to make the cars faster but it turns out that it had a uh, more effect on running in traffic and more effect on running the side side by side or one in front of the other and it creates almost more harm than if the cars would be less aerodynamically uh dependent so there's it's a lot of trials and error and uh it's not like that you cannot always all be nascar where mm -hmm. even though there's a lot of aerodynamics in nascar mm -hmm. it's it's their their big strong point is to be able to race uh in a pack of 43 without having a lot of difficulties with it so no there's going to be some trials and error and hopefully mm -hmm. we get into that direction in the next few years yeah and uh I think, too, that maybe sometimes uh, we have short memories. I mean, I, I've talked uh, over the past couple of weeks just watching some of these classic F1 races. And, and uh, you know, it, it depends, of course, what year, what era you're watching. But there have been uh, times when uh, there, there has not been a lot of overtaking. And I, I think that, that it's still not ideal. It's still not where they want to get to. But I think that it has slowly improved, and I think that Lewis really nailed it. And basically, what he said was that if they can figure it out to to really, uh, you know, minimize the, these problems and, and allow these guys basically uh, get right up underneath each other and, and stick close to each other, and then we'll sort of, I, I guess, sort of separate the men from the boys, kind of thing, and, and let these guys really fight. He said. F1 could be one of the best racing series out there. So, I mean, everybody knows that that it's it, it's good, but it could be a, a lot better. And uh, it, it'll be a, a real fascinating um, process to watch. And, of course, I mean, they've got one of the best guys in there to try and help figure that out in Ross Braun and uh, the, the group of people that he has working with him. But the, the unprecedented thing about it is that that for once, it's it's not just only the commercial rights holder and and the FIA and and, and the teams. That there's always in the past, there's always been one or more dissenting parties whenever it came to the the smallest 
sort of change or suggestion or any kind of push to try and change basically the status quo and in, in, in whatever it might be, because it it usually would get very political very quickly and would usually end up with Ferrari threatening to quit Formula One and and go off and do something <laughs> else. But the fact that that all the teams and, and, and all the shareholders in Formula One are all working together and the and the fact that the um, there the no, there isn't really that sort of noise that you had in the past under Bernie Ecclestone, which you know knowing Bernie it was probably a a Game of Thrones kind of thing, you know, him being the puppet master, <laughs> probably playing, you know, one party off of another party to kind of get the things that uh, the way that he wanted without having to actually do it uh, himself, you know, being uh, <laughs> just the way the formula worked in the in those days. But uh, it's it's just uh, it's fascinating to watch them all working together in this common goal and and whether or not they will actually succeed in that. Of course, that will remain to be seen, but it. Uh, I mean, the the um, I guess the motivation is there and the desire is there, and I think it just really depends on well, you know, can they take all these good intentions and develop the way that's going to be lead to real world changes that we're going to see on the racetrack on a Sunday afternoon and lead to that more competitive racing and, and, and cars changing and passing each other and all those exciting things that uh, that we want to see. I mean, of course, also just to sort of wrap up this thought that uh, compared to the old days, you know, you kind of had like an idea, you try it out, you design it, you build it, you put it on the car and you either go down to the racetrack and test it or go into the wind tunnel. I mean, the way that technology has evolved and the, the, the way that engineering has uh, evolved and the way that computer modeling has uh, evolved is that they can almost really tell how uh, a specific design feature is going to work or not going to work before they actually manufacture it and put it onto a, a car and physically get out there and, and, and test it. So that's just another one of the cool nerdy aspects of uh, Formula One that uh, the finer points, 99.9% of us <laughs> probably will never fully and truly appreciate. Nope, exactly, and uh, we'll see if they can all agree and if those changes actually changes anything. That's the only thing, too. You have a good intention to change something, and then you realize, oh, wait, we sacrificed something else by doing this. So yeah. we'll see what, what happens. Well, so it's always that classic saying, right? Hell, or with the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. So l let's hope <laughs> that we're not sitting here in a couple of years saying, yeah, you know, they, they had some great ideas, but... For whatever reason, they just couldn't pull it off and it's um, just not what uh, we wanted and it's just not working. And, and Formula One, again, kind of, I would say, drops the ball, but just couldn't quite work it out to the, its full potential and what would uh, truly take a, a great sport and make it uh, even even better. And just uh, one final thing here, Kevin, before we, we wrap it up, talking about... Uh, uh, you know, trying to make the sport more enjoyable and and more competitive. Maurizio Arrivabene, the team principal at uh, Ferrari, says that he believes that video games and esports are now becoming a, a serious competitor of F1. So he's another one that's in that uh, um, in that boat <laughs> to try and really get uh, you know get these changes for 2021 and for next year really worked out and and, and make the series truly exciting because you know esports is a it's a thing it's it's here it to is. stay and it's popular and um but this feels like old man yelling at cloud to me this, <laughs> this feels yeah, like the old man like yeah. oh why are it's just another component of your own sport if you yeah. take ownership of it if you embrace it which most of the team in formula one itself has Mm -hmm. Well, it's going to be part of it, and you're actually going to create more fans of Formula One or of your own team by mm -hmm. including the eSport program into your day-to-day -day operations. Yeah, well, uh, a good buddy of mine and my, my colleague on from the back line, uh, my, my soccer podcast, Jorge Mendoza, he works for EA Sports. He works uh, specifically... Um, creates content around uh, the the FIFA game uh, that that franchise, and uh, basically he sums up what he does for a living. He says I I get paid money to cover these tournaments uh, about people playing video games and winning large amounts of money to do so. But uh, you you look at it now, I mean, how many of the the, the big clubs around the world? 
have uh, they, they've signed uh, you know their own players to compete in esports to to comp- complete in these uh, FIFA tournaments that they have all over the world and I mean the, the the person that wins the grand final at the end of the year wins big money it's something like two hundred and fifty thousand dollars plus you have all the regional tournaments of course it's it's like everything else it's not everybody that goes to to and qualifies for one of these tournaments is going to win big money like that but i think it's very interesting that that you look at some of the clubs that are uh, you know have their own uh, you know sponsored and 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 signed eo um esports players to their club i think it's 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 kind of a cool way like like you say i mean they're they're embracing that and they're doing something with it and you know we're starting to see that in formula 1 and i, I see you know I see both sides of the argument. I can understand why Ariva Benny would say that, but I also agree with you that <laughs> his old man yells at cloud kind of thing. And I, I think that uh, that uh, Formula One should embrace that. And I, th- I think esports is a cool thing. It's a it's a growing market. It's a it's a, a growing sport in in its own right. And um, if they didn't jump on that, I mean, especially I mean, you always had Ecclestone in years gone by saying, "Well, I'm not really y- worried about the younger crowd." I'm after the 70-year-old that has a lot of money. <laughs> it's like, well, who's really going to be the future of your fan base? I mean, that 70-year-old guy with money is uh, not going to be around for maybe 15 or 20 years uh, much longer. Yeah, Whereas, and the, young you know, the, guy, the younger crowd has obviously got decades to, to support exactly. and be a Formula One fan. I was going to say, the young guy that doesn't have a lot of money now might, will, might have a lot of money in five years. So yeah, exactly, uh, might as well right? hook him now. But yeah. Yeah, so we'll see. <laughs> I and, think it's uh, kind of cool. I, I enjoy video games. You enjoy video games. Yep. I'm not a competitive gamer by any stretch of the means, but uh, I try to. But and, uh, I'm terrible. Uh, I've been trying <laughs> at FIFA, NHL, and F1 for years, and uh, I'm still not, I guess, famous for it. So I guess uh, I have my lacks of, uh, of talent there. Mark, uh, <laughs> before we say goodbye, yep. knowing you, I'm pretty sure you have it in front of you. Can you give us a little primer? on where the championship stands after the American Grand Prix. Well, in the the Drivers' Championship, we still have, obviously, Lewis Hamilton on top with 346 points. Sebastian Vettel still in second position with 276 points, meaning that if Lewis, I think if he uh, finishes uh, in eighth place or something, I can't remember all the permutations in Mexico, let's basically say that... He doesn't have to score very many points in Mexico City this weekend to win the championship. But then uh, Kimi Raikkonen has now moved into third place in the world championship with 220 points. So, or sorry, 21 points. So he's four points ahead of his countryman, Valtteri Bottas. Max Verstappen is in fifth place with 191. And then Danny Ricardo it rounds out the top six with 146. On the constructor's side, of course, it is only two teams, and that's uh, Ferrari and uh, and Mercedes. Mercedes still on top in that one with 563 points compared to 497. So Ferrari still realistically has a, a shot at the, uh, the, the constructors. Maybe a bit of a long shot, but maybe not quite as long as Sebastian Vettel in the uh, in the drivers championship, so there's perhaps a, a possibility there. And then, of course, just a real quick uh, rundown of the the Mexican Grand Prix this weekend at the uh, um, at uh, at the Mexican Grand Prix. Sorry, I'm starting to repeat myself here. It's a <laughs> time to wrap up. 71 laps, a circuit length of 4.304 kilometers. It's a 305.354 race or kilometer race distance. Sebastian Vettel holds the uh, the lap record there, which he set last year, was a 118.785. It is. Uh, it's not a very grippy track. It's not very abrasive. Lots of downforce, and the tires that Pirelli has made available for this year are the Super Softs, Ultra Softs, and Hyper Softs. And since they went back there in 2015, Hamilton, Rosberg, and Verstappen have won. So, kind of a bit of a mix there. So we'll wait and see what happens. But um, I think that uh, obviously it's like we said off at the the top of the show, it's only a question of when, not if Lewis is going to win. And I, I think that just with the you know the the few amount of races left in the year, that uh, he'll probably pull it off this weekend. And uh, Kevin, that's all I've got for this week. And as always, you can follow Mark on social media at Mark with a K J R Daily. You can follow myself at Kev Laramie and the show at Scuderia F1. 
Pod. We'll be back next week with the review of the Mexican Grand Prix. And as always, until next time, have a great Formula One. Thanks for listening to the Scuderia F1 podcast. If you want to get the show notes for this episode, then head over to ScuderiaF1Pod.com. Want to get in touch with us? Then email us at ScuderiaF1Pod at gmail.com. Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from? Space. Some regions are vast and empty. Other areas we call closets. Fortunately, Kevin from the Container Store has answers. Hmm, right. Kevin, what gives you the power over space? I'd say Alpha Customizable Closets. With free design and Alpha's adjustable shelving and drawers, I can create space in any size closet. Kevin, master of space and closets. Or just Kevin. Plus, right now, save 30% on Alpha and installation and earn up to $500 in credit through February 10th. At the Container Store, where space comes from. Where is that music coming from?